Welcome to Fires on the Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan. In front of me is Roy. I am mad. Dude, it's a... There's, it's I'm the bomb steam, track. That's what we're playing. Mad. It's the bomb track. And we got tons of bombs to throw out there. Bombs to... Bomb shells to talk about. Well, my bombshell has to do with the Reliever of the Year awards. Oh. The Trevor Hoffman and Mariana ah. Rivera awards. Ah. So Kirby, I I think it's pretty indisputable that Kirby Yates had the best season for any reliever in the National League. Will Smith had a nice season too. Yeah. Josh Hader, good, but not as good as those other two guys for certain. In the American League, similar kind of a case uh, where Liam Hendricks had a fantastic year. Significantly better year than our oldest Chapman. Yeah. And then we're also coming off all this stuff with the Astros. So you've got all this PR stuff and domestic violence and all of this. So who do they decide to give the awards to? Josh Hader and our oldest Chapman. Right. <laughs> Two landmark names that scream out racism, bigotry, and domestic violence. Yeah. Now they, with the gun. With they, the gun, dude. With yeah, the gun. Right. So they they may have learned from the error of their ways and they're walking the straight and narrow now, whatever. It still doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. Also, I don't like the fact that every time, a lot of these are tied to how well the team does. How many times was, you know, Trevor Hoffman not given the, Eric Gagne, I think that same year, his the, the Dodgers went into the playoffs. The year that Trevor Hoffman should have won the Cy Young didn't get it because we didn't go to the playoffs that year. I'm pretty sure. Well, the year that the Padres went to the World Series. Yeah. Hoffman could have won the Cy Young. Yeah. Kevin Brown should have won the Cy Young. And exactly. they gave it to, I believe it was John Smoltz that year. But whatever. We're going off on a, off, off track. Off a, but I just wanted to make the point that I'm, I'm mad. I'm pissed. Kirby Yates earned that, that award. It was his best yeah. year of his career by far. He's a great upstanding dude. He, they did the fundraiser for the um, Epilepsy yeah. Foundation that we, that we attended. Um, so, you know, good model citizen and all this stuff. Apparently, they've got seven former major leaguers that vote on the award. And that's okay. how they determine who wins them, which seems kind of flawed. Yeah. I like how some of the other awards are a mixture of former players and, and uh, media folks and that kind of stuff. But you would think that at the very least that they would funnel this through like the MLB PR office. We yeah. take a look at it and hey, go, wait, this is, is this what thinking. we really want to do? Okay. Yeah. And and you could have took away both those guys and no one would have went, well, no wonder they didn't get picked because of A or B or C issue. People had better better seasons. Yes. But I don't like how, if your MVP could be Mike Trout, but since his team didn't do anything, like... He's not going to, he'll probably, he he better win the MVP this year. Absolutely. I mean, every year that guy's the best player in in the league and it depends on how far your team goes in the postseason. Yep. Um, I hope now that as our window uh, opens that we start getting this consideration. I hope so, because that's another part of it, is that we're out here on the West Coast. Yeah. So there's the whole East Coast bias. Grant, a 7 o'clock p.m. game that finishes at 11 o'clock, that's 2 in the morning on the East Coast, so nobody's paying attention. Not to mention the fact that the Padres aren't that good, so they're not on TV all the time, right? Like some of these other teams are. So yeah, Hater, the the Brewers were in contention, and the Yankees made the postseason and all that. Whoop de doo! It's who was the best reliever? Yeah, not- those guys were not the best reliever in their leagues. No. <laughs> no, but we also had another bomb track, another bombshell drop with uh, with Jace Tingler. Now I'm I'm not so upset by that. Neither it's am just, I. It's just significant news to me. It's it's significant news. For me, I'm one of the guys that I, I don't think a manager has very little to do other than game management, and that's a crapshoot at best. It's an educated guess with all analytics. Even back before analytics, it was, you know, who was good to go, what the best matchups were in, in the past, and that's basically what it is today. Mm-hmm. The difference of what a manager does in, you know, on the field and how well a team does. What's really going to matter is what team he gets to manage. True. You know, Hosmer and Manny are going to are going to set the tone, the atmosphere in the clubhouse. Jace Tingler, as a manager, I believe, cr- helps with that culture and creates the atmosphere, I would think, uh, as a manager to do that. And that's what, other than that, it's X's and O's. You know, listen to Ben and Woods this last week after the, uh, the announcement. You know, Brett's like, how, how much does it matter? He's like, guys just come in, they want to see their name in the lineup. That's oh, all they Brett, really care Brett about. Brett Boone. Yeah, Brett Boone. Sorry. Uh-huh. That's all they just want to come in and see their name in the lineup. And if not, there's should be a better reason why. I do have a suspicion that Andy Green lost 
the the trust or the confidence of guys like Hosmer, maybe Machado, I don't know. So Tingler does have to go in there and establish his role yeah. and get those guys to buy into yeah. whatever it is that he wants to do. So if he says, we're going to do, go do drills, we don't need to have Will Myers complaining about it. You need to explain to him, this is why we're doing this. This is why this is going to make you better. Yeah. So time will tell. We don't know. To me, he's an unknown. I've yeah. read about enough about him to see that he's got some qualifications. He also has some weak points, but he deserves a chance. He's got the job. So, and I'm a fan. So all I can do is hope for the best and, you know, hope he does all right. Dude, and, and, you know, he looks like a ball. I mean, he looks like a manager. Like I, I loved Andy, and didn't love Andy Green, but Andy Green, he was pretty pasty. Like you see pictures of <laughs> Tingler, like he's got, he's got, you know, crow's feet in the eyes at 38. He's got that dark skin. Like he's been out on the field, hitting fungos, getting that, you know, the manager tan or coach tan where have you seen the jujitsu? Yeah. He's smacking some guy in the head. I love the humility aspect of that. And, uh-huh. and not only will it make you humble by getting your, your tail beat, but you're going to get better at what you're doing. So there was a podcast that he was on um, a few months ago. Okay. Apparently a, a childhood friend of his that grew up in the same town of Missouri has this podcast and has something to do with raising horses. But he had his friend Chase Tingler on for this episode. And so that was interesting hearing it. He was talking about um, he does things to make himself uncomfortable. That there was something that came up within the last year or two that kind of made him think that I go through my day, I've got my routine, I have my comfort zones, and I need to do things that shift me out of that. So like for a little bit, he was getting into an ice bath for 15 minutes. He's like, I'm going to put my body in there and I'm going to see, I'm going to make it through 15 minutes just to shock my body. And so he does different things to, and I find that kind of stuff interesting. Yeah, I I want a manager that's going to make the players think and make them want to be better. I can see how Andy Green has the kind of personality. If you put him in front of a bunch of 20 year olds that are struggling to make it up, he can say, I was, you know, I played Major League Baseball. I can tell you what to do. But that doesn't really work when you've got somebody who's 28, 30, 35. An established big leaguer. Also, with with Green, he he could turn the apocalypse into a sunny day. And uh, that's great when it comes to, you know, for so long. But, I mean, he had to turn shitty games into brighter days every game. And it's like, oh, dude, you talk way too much. Well, it was the monotone and the shifty eyes and the <laughs> – it's it, it, just the canned answers. I'm sure Tingler has a lot of that too, but I, I hopefully there's a little bit of, of candid nature yeah. to the, how it comes out. Yeah. And, and, and with Ron Washington, uh, minus, minus the baggage and all that stuff, uh, he's not Prother's guy. And that's what, you know, if, if, if Prother's on the hot seat, if we're going to follow his, what he wants this organization to do and what he's trying to do in this organization, there needs to be a clear communication. I don't, I don't know if it's a yes man or not, but like at least the communication is there and they know what he wants to communicate. He know what needs to get done and how they want to do it. So there's no having one Washington as the manager and then your bench coach be uh, Jace Tingler. And okay, well this is what he really means when Preller mumbles this, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be, any station where it stops, it needs uh-huh. to be clear all the way through. So when you're an A ball and you make it up to Double A, up to Triple A, up to the big leagues the next few years or whatever, that is the same message and it's told the same way and it's taught the same way and it's consistent. Consistency in everything you do. I'm in restaurant business. If you're consistently making great food, it you know you can you get the recognition, and that's a big thing. So last year, the Rangers were one of the best base running teams in all of baseball. And that was something that they made a concerted effort the last couple of years to improve, uh, specifically last year. And it sounds like that's something he had a large hand in. Um, the Padres were a mess on the bases last year. Tons of bad decisions and just it seemed like a lack of preparation. And so <laughs> hopefully that's something that can be improved too. But one thing that you made me think of... so. Somebody brought up Eric Hosmer earlier today. And so Eric Hosmer hits righties well, does not hit lefties well at all. And that's been proved pretty solidly the last couple of years. So the Padres hired Dave Cameron about a month before they signed Eric Hosmer. Yeah. And before he was before they hired Cameron, he was one of the most vocal people saying that Hosmer is asking for too much money. He's overvalued. This is why these all these reasons why. So now he's part of or heading the analytics group. So you get you can't tell me that he wasn't sending information down to that manager's office saying, 
bench him against lefties. Yeah. Do some kind of a platoon, yeah. you know, so you can you can hide his inefficient side and maximize what you have in the guy. And it's not like you're talking about benching him half the time. It's only against lefties. It's probably maybe 20, 30% of the starts. Yeah. So if he was being fed that information and then Green wasn't taking it, saying, this is my franchise guy, I need to have him out there every day, that that doesn't work. Then you've got the disconnect between what the front office is telling you and then the manager. You know, if they're button heads and they're not coming to terms... <laughs> Well, and, and what, what, what that, exactly? And so, what that really made me think of, and I thought about this independently of what you're saying right now, is like probably going to this is probably going to Andy Green. I, I, yeah, we need to get uh, someone else in second base. Yeah, but uh, AJ, like, have you seen like he he'll kick my ass if I don't put him at second base. Like, have you seen Kinsley? He just looks angry all the time. Like, I don't want him to be mad at me. Like, he's going to kick my ass. He'll beat me up and takes my lunch. But, you know, well, I wonder about that because yeah. he looked like he was intimidated by Eric Hosmer at a couple of times. You know? Yeah. And, and that, the veteran, you know, the, the veteranness of a, a long time established major league player, even on the backside of, of, re, of his season. Sorry about that. Losing my train of thought here. But, like, I just thought of that. It's like, dude, you're not that good. We need to put someone else in there. So, what's Tingler going to do to establish that? Have a jujitsu contest in spring training? No, this is how it's going to be. Yeah, this is how it's going to be. Yep. If not, you know, we're going to pick up that, you know, the poster again and put play better. Well, I agree. You with, hit better lefties. I agree with the sentiment that Preller got his guy, mm. and this is going to make or break Preller's future. Yeah. If this team goes on to succeed, to succeed, he may get an extension or whatever. If we don't see a winning team in the next year, maybe two, then they both might be out of here. Yeah. So I, be it. And, and I also think it's an overall general shift to new managers, uh, new ways of thinking, not only just analytics, but just fresher blood. Like all the managers, a lot of the managers for the, the playoff teams were all new. The Martinez, you know, AJ Hinch has only been managing for a few years. Baldelli. Ball, you know, Rocco Baldelli. Um, I think there's a shift and, and we've had some varying success. Uh, you know, I don't know if you want to say Andrew Green was a success, but he was a new thought man, you know, a, kind of a younger manager. Um, Gabe Kapler, once again, was very, I think if they would have made the playoffs or would have been pushing a little bit closer, he probably would have kept his job. Yeah, but a difference there is that all those guys had significant major league careers. Yes. Where Tingler yeah. capped out in single A and yeah. then that was it. Yeah. And the same thing with his managing experience in the minors. He managed, I don't think he managed above rookie ball. He did not. So there's definitely some holes in the resume, but he's got the job, so he's our guy. Well, to continue with the bomb track theme of, of today's episode, later on we're going to be talking to Evan Drellich from The Athletic on the MLB's 120 plan due to shrink. We talked about this last episode, uh, to shrink minor league baseball from, what, 162, 162 affiliates down to 120, and what that's going to look like. So we're going to have him on. A little bit later on. Yeah, he had a great article where he interviewed. He talked to minor league president Pat O'Connor. Yeah. And got some really strong opinions from him. Pretty strong opinions. I mean, I could, you can see there's very, it's very contentious with the with minor league baseball and major league baseball. But let's get on with the show. Batting leadoff, Amarillo. The season just gets better, but they're really capping it off with being named the 2020 Texas League All-Star Game. Congratulations to them. Nice. Tony Inzer and all of you guys, Shane, everyone over there in Amarillo. Uh, June 23rd is when the All-Star Game is. We couldn't be more proud to announce to our community and to the best fans in baseball that the annual marquee event in the Texas League is coming to Amarillo in 2020, said Todd Poodle's president and general manager, Tony Inzer. Last season was a storybook we all we all dreamt, of, dreamt about, and now it's part of our efforts to make the sequel year even better we'll be hosting the texas league all-star game in our city so that's fantastic yeah that's great for them now now you've got me thinking about trying to rearrange some travel plans i you know that'd be a lot of fun to attend that would be a in summertime is a really easy time for me to get time off well and it's june so it's not the the peak of the heat yeah <laughs> that part of texas yeah. Because don't Oof. try to go there in August. Because right now, well, now it's it's snowing, snowing. <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy. That was like uh, who? That was uh, our host, uh, friend of the podcast, Austin Hartsfeld. Was that he posted the pictures like outside his window with snow flurries? Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw the the sod poodles. They they posted pictures, and I think they changed their name to the Amarillo Snow Poodles. Snow, for- <laughs> oh my god. 
you know, so maybe check that city off with me us ever moving there to uh, be a host family or just moving near a minor league ball club. You don't, you don't do snow. <laughs> I do not do snow. I might have to put up a little bit of dusting depending on where uh, we are. But Well, they don't spend months of the year covered in snow. It's not like you'd no. be going to Syracuse, New York or something. No, God, no. <laughs> I, I couldn't live that way. Uh, anyways, moving on. Uh, Stadium Journey has ranked Fort Wayne Parkview Field as the number one. Again, the experience at Parkview Field is what all minor league baseball teams should strive for, according to Stadium Journey. Great food, great seating options, a great neighborhood, great entertainment, and great customer service are all present here on a nightly basis. The neighborhood around the ballpark is also vastly improving, making it hip again to hang out in downtown Fort Wayne. Parkview has achieved the number one ranking out of the 160 minor league ball uh, baseball homes from AAA all the way down to rookie seven times out of the past nine. And we, we said it last episode, dude, they're doing a new video board. They're doing all kinds of new improvements to that field. It is definitely not going to be on the 120 list. You have got Our to go be- there. I know, you I and, know. You and Liddy need to make a trip happen. Uh, we we do. We, there's, we will. I promise. Eventually. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad we went this year. Well, and for for us, and, and we don't you don't care about my vacation plans, but a lot of our vacation is tied up with going to see her family. Um, I needed to go see my family. I hadn't seen them for a few years. You know, her parents are in uh, a little bit older, and so any chance we get to go out there and spend a little more time with them, and it is certainly you know getting um, late in their season, if you want to say, sure. for lack of a better term. Um, so anytime that we get, I get time off, or I can have time off. We're going out there. Lydia will be out there again after next week. Um, well, next, when the two of you have some time to go make a long trip out there, stop in Indianapolis, uh-huh. drive an hour up the road to yeah. Fort Wayne, spend a day in Fort Wayne, and talk to the guys, Mike Nutter and, oh, and all you, those guys there. You know I'll be all And over. And <laughs> they will roll it out for you because they do a fantastic job. I mean, even if you just go as a fan, I mean, yeah. it's a great experience. Everything they said right there is true. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'll see so the video board. Stop by there and then continue to do New York. Yes, absolutely. Just, you got to go. Yeah, can we do a layover in Fort Wayne? I um, don't think it's a hard sell. I don't. No, it's not. Well, it's not a hard sell. It's just hard to pencil that stuff in. But let's finish up. So the AFL, the Arizona Fall League, uh, finished this last week. Um, William Bohr from MLB Pipelines, friend of the podcast, uh, tweeted Thursday, Reggie Lawson was a top performer for the week and reads as follows. Reggie Lawson's final start of the Arizona Fall League was perfect. The 22-year-old right-hander threw 33 of his 51 pitches for strikes as he carved his way through four innings against the Glendale lineup. Lawson, who got off to a fast start and struck out the first batter he faced, racked up six strikeouts in his outing, including at least one in each inning. Lawson made three starts in the AFL and pitched to a .82 ERA in 14 strikeouts in 11 innings. He was just there to get some time in. He had the injury in um, in Amarillo. I really, if he can stay healthy, I he's definitely going to get time up in the big league. He's going to get a shot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he'll, he's in the picture for next year. Absolutely. And this went as well as you could have possibly hoped for for yeah. him. Yeah, and so, what, what we had heard, what did we hear? He wasn't throwing a lot of his slider. Was correct. It? He wasn't yeah. throwing a lot of slider to wasn't save his arm. Wasn't throwing the slider a whole lot. So he had a curveball and a changeup. But so if anything, it's going to make those pitches stronger if yeah. he's not focusing on the slider. Yeah. Because the slider is something he was just kind of tinkering with anyway. Uh, so fantastic for him. So we've got the final line for the other guys that played there this year. So Owen Miller batted, finished at 169, 188 on base and a 231 slugging in 17 games. Hudson Potts batted 175 with a 186 on base and a 250 slugging in 12 games. Those two those two lines are remarkably similar. Yeah. So for two guys that had very different years in double A, because Miller crushed it, Potts struggled and was very streaky. So I, I find that interesting. And then Logan Driscoll, he only played in five games, uh, but his final line is 353, 421, 706, and that 706 is pumped up by that two-home run game he had yeah. in his debut. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, we've got Elliot Ashbeck here with 12 innings pitched to 2.92 ERA, uh, 13 strikeouts. He made the Fall Stars team. And then what we, we're we skipping over here is uh, Adrian Morahone and Jacob Nix both had appearances, but they were brief, yeah. so not really worth discussing. Yeah, not really worth discussing. And, you know, the honey, go, to go once again, we, we're going to say this again, with, with Honey Potts, he's still 20 years old, super young. Oh, he, yeah. He, you know, um, he'd be going into his junior year of college right now. Yeah. So as much as we want to write him off, as much as people want to write him off. Oh, no, nobody's writing him off. I, I, 
it's people have people can look at it and see the high strikeout rate and and poke holes in things and maybe his approach his mechanics whatever but there's time i mean you can give him two more years before really making a fair assessment of the guy absolutely and owen miller i, I think he was he, I don't know if there's tweaking with anything. You mentioned that he may be working on something. I just think he's gotten tired. Now, I saw something that they were working on his approach. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember exactly what they were trying to get him to do, whether he's trying to focusing on pulling the ball more or maybe trying to get the ball in the air more often. I don't know, because all summer long, all he was doing is spraying line drives Breaking. all over the place. <laughs> uh, so maybe it was to get him a little extra work. Who knows? So it's disappointing to see those two guys finish their season kind of on a thud. Yeah. Um, but they're going to come back to spring training and they'll they'll be healthy, ready to go. So that's that's the the big takeaway from me is that all these guys finish the year healthy, strong. Um, you know, there's no concerns going into the off season. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so there it is. <laughs> it's a pretty pretty slow pretty slow business day. Well, but, but we're filling that in with our conversation with Evan a, here coming a, up. Absolutely. So but before we do that, though, I want to tell you about my friend, Dr. Travis Ehlers, certified sports chiropractic physician, 14 years in the business. He specializes in sports injuries and prevention. Uh, he fixed me up. He works with high school, college, several local professional athletes. He'll work with you, the weekend warrior. Um including athletes from the U.S. Olympic Center in Chula Vista. He goes to the NFL Combine every year. He'll fix you up. He'll fix up your athlete. He'll keep you on the field or at your desk or at your job. I mean, he has saved my life more than more than a few times. Uh, and just getting adjusted, you feel better. You know, after getting a quick adjustment, call or make an appointment, 844-627-4763, or go to drtraversehealers.com. That's D-R-T-R-A-V-I-S. E-H-L-E-R-S dot com. Coming up, we have Evan Drellich from The Athletic. Uh. Evan Drellich writes about the business of baseball for The Athletic and recently published an article on MLB's response to the MLB 120 plan to reduce minor league baseball affiliates to 120 from 162 and joins us to talk about it here on Friars on the Farm. Welcome. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Well, definitely thanks for coming on. Uh, this is a huge, this, and this is almost, a, you know, the song that we had playing before we came on was Bomb Track by Rage Against the Machine. And we've had, you know, we've had our new manager talk. We've had this to talk about. You know, there's a lot to unpack here. So in our last episode, we kind of ran down some of the bare bones from J.J. Cooper's article on Baseball America. Um, but would you be so kind to explain to our listeners the the kind of 10,000-foot view of what the professional baseball agreement is? It's, it's the agreement that governs the relationship between all these minor league teams, what we call affiliated ball, right, and and – and the major league teams, you know, when they say this is our double A team, triple A team, how how those relationships work, and in the big bird's eye view, uh, MLB is unhappy with a lot of elements of it. You know, to some degree, under Bud Selig, they didn't really pay attention uh, to these issues quite so much. You know, that there's been a big push inside baseball for efficiency in a lot of ways. You know, we see that in front offices. Well, it's true at the league office too, and it's true at ownership matters. So they look at some of these facilities, some of these teams, and go, "Well, you know, we, we don't like the way our pl- our our players are uh, being put into environments that aren't comfortable, or, or this isn't good or ideal for player development." And then they, there's also just these basic issues of money. Well, if we're going to revitalize these some of these parks that are run down, um, who's going to pay for it? Do we need as many minor league players as we used to? Uh, it. it there's also the musical, ch- you know, the, and the, sorry, the, the, this musical chairs of re-upping every couple of years annoys major league owners too, right? You know, you have one bad franchise nobody wants to go to. MLB owners don't like this leverage. You know, it, it's all money in the end. Not to be too cynical. Yeah, that does kind of make sense because, like in the AAA, we see that Fresno is always kicked around. It seems like every couple of years, Fresno is going to a different major league team because nobody wants to be in Fresno. And don't, don't the Nationals have a team in the Pacific Coast League? And that's kind of like they got stuck with with the, with the uh, Pacific Coast League team because two years ago, yeah, in 2017, well, going into 18, there was the we had a whole thing on it. It was the affiliate shuffle, like seven or eight different uh, teams. Shuffled affiliates and levels and all kind of craziness. 
Right. So, so when I was covering the Astros, uh, Fresno was the affiliate no longer, but, but it was at the time, um, teams don't like, there's always a franchise or, or, or a couple franchises. It seems in, in each one of these leagues, the teams don't want to be with, for whatever reason, altitude, uh, uh, you know, environment, uh, whatever it might be. Um, and so it, to, to the major league owners, uh, this, this becomes kind of like this artificial leverage, right? Like where, where in some way the minor league owners are benefiting from the fact that there's a crappy team in there because nobody wants to get stuck with the crappy team. Right. Um, and, and again, this is the major league owners perspective. I can speak to some of the minor league owners perspective too, but and understanding how they're looking at it. Um, like, yeah, you know, if they wanted to put money into these places and make them perfect, they could, but it's this basic question of, well, it's not our business. Why should we be subsidizing your business? Okay, uh, so that afford it. okay, so a lot of this is talking about the facilities for the player personnel, the coaches, the uh, whatever analytics, video that those staffers, the dining not, area. Yeah, and so these are things that benefit the team, the players, the the major league organization because it's the players that they're providing that it's going to support. So yeah, having a nice, pretty ballpark with nice lights and comfortable seats is going to draw fans in. Um, and that's the stuff that the local team is going to want to invest their money in. Uh, but they don't, why should they want to buy new batting cages or expand their locker room? Um, but then at the same time, you've got the major league organization that isn't willing to chip in it. The, at the same, I, now I see major league making money hand over fist. I may be wrong, but it seems like it's a very profitable enterprise. And then I go to a minor league team, you go there on a Wednesday night and there's 200 people in the stands yeah. and you know that they're not making money. So it seems disingenuous from my perspective for the major league team to be strong arming the minor league team saying you need to improve your facilities when the minor league team doesn't have the money to be able to do that. Am, am I looking at that right? I think in in broad strokes you are the, the 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 phrase strong arm is correct here. You know, there's there's a lot of leverage that major league owners have that minor league owners don't have. Right? The affiliate, what major league teams can say they provide, which is true, is they pay for the they pay for the players. They uh, <laughs> even if it's not much, right. uh, but you know they're providing the players, they're providing the talent, they're providing, um, you know the equipment is some of the cost of the business does fall on the teams, which is why that argument about, well, in this day of efficiency where, where we have a better way of projecting out which players are going to be successful, that you don't need to have 40 rounds of a draft possibly, which ha- would have to be bargained with the union. But you know, there's this backdrop of not only is it about facilities, it's about, we just don't need this, number of players from a baseball development perspective you might need it from a fan development perspective minor league owner major league baseball looks at minor league owners as having a comfortable business we all look at major league owners as, as having a comfortable business so it's an argument between people with comfort it, it's millionaires right, right. <laughs> exactly it, it, it's the same as it ever was you know and, and exactly talking heads reference there very nice um and it seems at a time when there's big talk about you know upping the pay for the minor leaguers. The you know the the major league teams are like okay, so if we're going to pay these guys more, we're just going to pay less of them, you know. And so it's like okay, we're going to do this, but we're going to make it more cost effective. And I for one agree. I mean, so many how many forty round guys make it past double A? How many how many you know guys past the twenty fifth round make it past high A? I mean, how many guys get out of the complex? We. There, it, there needs to be a, a starting point here, and I understand that. But to do it like, just lop off forty-two teams in one fell off season, you know, that's I think is a really big question. I would imagine, Mike. Yeah, it's just speculative. I don't think in the end you'll, you'll see this number of teams removed. But MILB is open to the possibility that some teams get removed. So you know, you have a starting point in the negotiation. Where does it end up? Probably. Uh, probably somewhere in the middle, but there's this interesting question of how much does the presence matter? You know, I, I I did this long story on um, looking, looking a little bit beyond attendance and trying to understand the health of baseball and and fan engagement and what people and uh, the dog knows um, what, 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 what are the different things that matter to the health of the sport? And one point that was made to me, no uncertain terms was, was minor league baseball is really important. Major league baseball gets that. 
So it becomes a question of how much money, where's that break point? How much money is it worth you spending to get it to whatever you think this, this franchise needs to be so that forget the player development perspective, you're yeah. feeding that growth of the game. And I don't know what, what dollar figure you put on that. It probably depends on city to city. You know, yeah. if it's some tiny town somewhere, maybe you're more willing to say, screw it. So what you're talking about is like Boise, Idaho, that's many hours away from the nearest major league ballpark. But how, so how are the fans going to be able to participate and go and become baseball fans? So by having a Northwest league team in Boise, yeah. that helps them out. Uh, but then the other side of that is that Boise is, I think I was looking it up. I think it's four hours away from the nearest uh, other Northwest league team. And the farthest one, Vancouver is like eight or 10 hours. No, it's more than that. I think it was more than a 12 hour drive away. It was a uh. long way away. So in the Northwest League, they always travel by bus, uh, and the the logistics of traveling from one facility to another was a significant part of this proposal. It it seems at yeah. least trying to locate locate teams within a certain league within a certain amount of distance. Um, so, do you think we could see reorganization, or is there going to be pressure on cities like that to try to build new facilities to support a level like AAA where teams tend to fly? Yeah, reorganization is part of this initial proposal. And, and, and I think it's actually kind of easy to have sympathy or, or empathy with MLB on one point here, which is if you were to design minor league baseball today, giving a, given all the other circumstances we have, and you're just even kind of putting the money aside, what, what is the easiest, log, most logical way to set up a league or the, or the set of leagues? It wouldn't look like this. Right? I, I, and I think that's realistic. Um, now, to then say that, well, just because if you were doing it today, you should then blow up the whole system, that's where you encounter all this different set of arguments. But yeah, that, that is part of it, that, that it's just, it's a pain in the ass for players to be traveling. It's, it's, it's costly for them to be traveling. Um, and and th- all those kinds of discussions are part of this plan, um, which is, you know, you're upending the minor league owners, but you I, I do see that part for MLB, where it's like, this system's We've had so much change in yeah. baseball. Why yeah. this change? You know, they have less scouting course because of analytics, so they could have done something back then, you know, in the past five years. But it just seems, you know, you talked to Pat O'Connor about this, and both sides seem to be really on, you know, and again, it's the beginning of negotiations. Did this really catch them off guard? Did they see this coming? Because, you know, the, the, some of the quotes from Pat were pretty like we will fight for our right to live yeah it sounds like he had a very visceral reaction to this whole thing like you caught him in an emotional moment did you have to keep the phone away from you and he was screaming or what <laughs> no you know it, it's and what's hard to judge in some of these situations is, is what is the motivation in that moment was he totally caught off guard i don't think so because he's been in the room and, and, and been aware of what's going on here yeah. you know the, the different powers that in, in, in the major league baseball ownership groups are are different. There, there's a, a lot of differences between the groups, right? On the minor league scale, that's even more pronounced, right? Yeah. So, so what you're doing a lot of a lot of these situations is you're trying to keep people happy and tr- and keep people calm. Um, so, you know, I, I'm being a little speculative about about Pat's motivations here, but at the same time, I don't think that defeats any of the points. If he was taking a stand for the sake of taking a stand, I don't think he was he was making points that he doesn't um, at least partially believe in. You know that that indeed that this idea of taking teams out of affiliated ball and essentially operating them like independent teams might kill some franchises. I you know um, they're yeah. they're pretty steadfast that this would hurt them, and uh, Major League Baseball thinks no. Look, independent ball is thriving, so th- there is a gap here. Whether it's quite as large as it was made to seem. There's a pretty large gap. So there was a, you mentioned an uh, independent ball, and I found it interesting that in the proposal, there's what they call the Dream League. That I it sounds like it represents um, what is currently encompassing international base uh, or uh, independent baseball, as well as the players that would not be drafted in this shortened uh, format. Um, and I found that interesting. So do you have the impression that there'd be a bunch of support from Major League Baseball? in that kind of a venture as well? Well, that's that's their idea, right? It's, it's MLB's, uh, that's part of their proposal as well as we're talking about with the Indy League uh, idea. That is that Dream League, um, which to me, at first glance, just reads as outsourcing. You know, you're, you're, you're taking 
financial burden off of the clubs um, and and passing it on to the minor league teams. And you know, that in some way, they're doing things because they can. You know, and uh, they need to. Well, define anything with with need to when you're talking about money on this kind of scale, right? Yeah. But they're looking at they're looking at, at the operation, the minor league operation, going, well, this isn't efficient. Let's be efficient. Um, so they're leveraging where previously minor league owners haven't felt this pressure, you know, and it, and it's it's like this <laughs> fundamental business in America question. I, you know, I <laughs> at, is at, it right? I don't know, but yeah, they, they at, do absolutely. Absolutely. So here, here in uh, San Diego, just north of us is Lake Elsinore. And earlier this year, I made it out to four minor league ball clubs out uh, in the uh, in the greater Tennessee area. Like we went and saw the Rome Braves play the Columbia Fireflies in Rome. That's a very nice facility. They had a really nice ball field, really nice stadium. Um, looked pretty brand new. You know, you go up to Lake Elsinore that's been around since '94. It's not as new. It's not as you know. It's not as um, up to date. Who sets the you know? Where is that standard going to be? Like okay, this is the bottom because right now no one is actually out of alignment from the the previous nineteen ninety agreement of what facilities should look like, what should have. But now that once again the, the sport is changing, they're having their you know more towards analytics and more things that have to have room for those things. Um, who's going to say what it's going to look like and where's that going to, where's that line going to be drawn? Well, and on a similar note, who's going to monitor that and maintain it? This was one of the more striking things to me in, in writing the story, talking to Pat and also to Dan Halem, uh, the deputy commissioner was how far apart they were even on, on explaining, um, what, what conversations they've had about setting standards. NLP is saying, no, we've given you a chance to set new standards. And minor league baseball is saying, no, you haven't. And it's like, well, you can't even agree on that, folks. You you can't even agree on on whether or not you've you've gone down this road before. Um, So it's something that that is agreed upon between the two sides. But but your question of enforcement is a good one. Because they will set some sort of new standard in this this deal, some way or another. Um, You know, because I see... in, well, in, yeah. in Lake Elsinore, you know, their their meal is set out right in front of the clubhouse. And the clubhouse is about the size of a, of a large one, you know, like a large living room. Um, and their food is put on the table. There's no other room. Like they go right there to the table and then go back to their, sit in front of their in front of their lockers to eat. And, you know, the training room is right next to the showers, which is right next to the manager's office, which is right, you know, and the, the pitching coaches, the, the pitching coaches office is, is like a walk-in closet size room. I mean, some of these facilities are, it's doable, but yet they do need to be upgraded. And if you're going to bring analytics and if you're going to bring any of that equipment and that technology, there's going to need room for that. You know, the, um, so it's, it is, it's, it's a lot to unpack here. And, so- and minor league baseball is O'Connor acknowledged that they need to have improvements in some of these parts. Yeah. Nobody's really contesting that this this kind of bottom one fifth of facilities. MLB did a survey of its team, so so it was trying to find out, um, you know, from, from its own members, hey, which franchises would you get rid of? Which ones really need improvements? This kind of thing. Um, so it becomes a little bit of a discussion about the fringes, right? That's ultimately what we're talking about here yeah. because both sides would say, like, listen, a lot of this is great. And and so now we're, we're all kind of wringing our hands over the outliers, but you know, the outliers are important. So because well, we're not just talking about the major league ball, the, or the, the minor league players and the coaches and all that. You're also talking about food vendors and janitorial staff and the groundskeeping folks. There's a community of people around each one of these ballparks that supports that there's jobs that are, that exist because the park is there. There's hotels and transportation and these kinds of things. So if you pull a ballpark out of, out of Pasco, Washington, that may significantly affect the economy and people's lives. Not only the 200 people that maybe work for them or maybe a hundred, but the several hundred in the surrounding area that rely on the season to, you know, to bring in revenue. Yeah, and this this is one area where I kind of enjoy, somebody messaged me after I wrote uh, the piece 
um, somebody who works in minor league baseball, uh, you know, one of the many, many people who do, uh, because my piece didn't really touch on, on those impacts. Right. Uh, and I, and I think a lot of times people can, I mean, just look at it at the major league level for a long time, all this front office stuff, whatever was going on, people go, well, is this good for the winning baseball of that team? You know, firing scouts is a, is a very basic example. Uh, well, it's smarter. It's a better use of resources. Okay, does anyone have any concern for the livelihoods of people who gave their, you know, thirty years, twenty years, whatever, maybe less, to this industry? You know, and and, and, and it's, stakeholders can get overlooked beyond simply just is it good for Major League Baseball or not? Right. Or good for minor league baseball or not? So the employee point is a strong one. You know, these stadiums have uh, some of them have public funding. I mean, percentage wise, it's probably very high. That, that have uh, public funding, and it might even be higher than I'm than I'm uh, than I realize. Um, so that's where the grounds for, you know, Connor kind of suggesting down the road they could they could turn to uh, local politicians and things like this. And that's where it could get messy because because there is an element of affecting. Uh, community here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. And and so some of these some of these teams, it's not just lopping off the bottom short season and rookie leagues. You know, you see some of these double A fields, and uh, you're like, woof, whoa, that's a really you know, is it just we'll lop off the 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 bottom, you know, the rookie leagues? Are they looking at moving double A teams and, and turning them into high A teams or A teams? You know, be you look at somewhere like uh, Fort Wayne. It's a premier field, a premier facility, and could easily be double A, triple A because it's so nice and where it is and and the crowd that it, it draws. Um, and you go to somewhere like when I was in Kodak, I saw the Smokies game, or I was at the Lookouts game in Chattanooga, where it's a much older field, much older a facility, and you know it drew plenty of people, but it just was an older, you know, a little bit older of a of a place. And you know, you wonder if that could be a high A ball, or if that has anything to do with this realignment, you know, are they looking at other, other than just lopping off the bottom field or are they looking to move some of these other double A and single A teams, uh, that kind of thing? Yeah. It, it, you know, it goes back again to that idea of being, how would you draw it up if you could today where you get this kind of logical, um, or, or by somebody's logic, right. Uh, rearrangement of teams based on geography, based on facility, all that type of stuff. So you, you would see, uh, and again, that, that, that's only if this current iteration were to go through, which minor league baseball has made loud and clear, it's not going to, because you know, on some principled level, minor league owners are going, well, you can't tell us how to run our business period. Right. Like, like we have agreement, but you, you are, you are basically trying to tell us how to do everything. And, you know, major league baseball feels like, well, at some point, why don't we just start our own teams, right? Like, like, what is the point of outsourcing this if we're going to have to go through this, uh, this headache? Or at least that's a strong point of posturing that they can take. So, an, an angle that I can't help but latch on to. So, Major League Baseball is under pressure to pay the minor league players more. And it's been spoken that there's going to be some form of increase. The, the Blue Jays went ahead and did it on their own. Um, but then there's this proposal to lop off roughly 25% of the the players out there so it it appears to me like they're trying to to down you reduce the number of staff that they have so that they can increase their payroll without having to spend any more money overall and then at the same time i see suggestions in this proposal that minor league baseball pay for a significant chunk of their salary they're already paying a, a ticket tax but that they may be asked to contribute more than they already are um, and this again plays back into the millionaires arguing with billionaires over over a couple thousand dollars. Yeah, that that it comes down to. So again, am I am I looking at that wrong, or is that really kind of what's going on here? Yeah, this major league baseball is looking at it as a way to kind of you know uh, change the system without increasing their costs, or or at least without in significantly uh, increasing their costs yeah but the um, cost that we're looking at here is the cost of a middle of the road reliever i mean it's in the major league it, level and, and and this is the well and this this is the argument that you, you know can apply to so many different things here where it's like um 
you know, for, for, for a guy like John Henry, who owns the Boston Red Sox, who's seen the value of the franchise exponentially increase. That's an exaggeration, but it doesn't feel like an exaggeration. You know, what's the extra reliever? What's the luxury tax, right? It, it, these are all the same arguments you see in the player market in some, in some basic yeah. way yeah. Uh, being applied elsewhere because it, it just because they can spend it doesn't mean that, that all these kind of really successful business people feel that they, that they want to, right? And this, this is the, the freedom that they are afforded, whether they should take it, I, you know, that's a different question. Yeah, that's something we always need to keep in mind, that this is a business, and the people that are at the top of this are there because they're very shrewd business people, and so those, unfortunately, that bottom good. line is going to drive so well, much of this. Some of them are, are, I mean, they're all they're all shrewd business people, but you know, the, the skill of, of some of these people varies widely, but what, what is pretty clear to me is that inside the front office, uh, inside the commissioner's office, the front office of the owner, so to speak... Um, you know they're they're moving this thing forward. This is big business, baby. This, this you know let's let's tidy it up. Let's 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 figure out ways. What what does a business do but try to increase its profits, right? Yeah, and and try to improve its model. You know, and and to that end, they it is true that the PBA between MILB and MLB hasn't really changed in the last thirty years. So. You know, why would they change it in, in in favor of making the minor league owners more money? You know, it's, I'm not defending it. I'm just explaining it. So now that you've had a conversation with Pat O'Connor, and I'm sure you've spoken with a bunch of other people related to this, what's your gut feel on kind of where this is going to go? Do you have a, a general idea on kind of a vision in your mind where you think this is going to go? You know, the same feeling I have a little bit with with discussions about MLB and and the Players Association, which is there's so much at stake here. You, you're not going to have something fall apart. MLB doesn't need a protracted battle with its farm teams. It's just it's not the juice is not worth the squeeze there. Um, so they should find a middle ground. You know, yeah. I, I I don't see. Um, I just don't see the headache being worth it for for either side here right uh, because as you point out them it's just it's in the end is it really that much money that that you're gonna uh create all this anger over i don't think so no and and what really good that does is the little bit you do invest is going to go a long way with developing uh you know elite athletes and in the hardest sport known to man for very little so the, the what little you're going to invest is going to make is going to exponentially i think improve the you know the player itself well there's also the goodwill that the major league organization needs to maintain with all of minor league baseball there should be a universal kind of a i don't want to say kumbaya but that's i mean they at least need to be able to get along and have a working relationship and not be contentious with each other so do you think real quick do you think there'll be two winter meetings in 2020 well, uh, uh, a separate one for the minors and a separate one for the majors. That's what happened in 1990. It got so bad. The, the 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 current, you know, the drastic changes that they made back in 1990 was so bad between Major League Baseball and MILB that they had two separate uh, winter meetings. Yeah, you know, there there's even still in recent years. I'm thinking at like 2014, there was one where. Um, in San Diego, where it is this year, if I'm remembering right, yeah. where there was a little bit of sensitivity about um, uh, the minor league. It was just in a different hotel. Like it, it, They weren't even centralized together then. Um, I don't see it, you know, if I guess if minor league baseball wanted to make a point, but I no one has mentioned that to me at this point mm-hmm. as something that's coming. Well, Evan, we really appreciate you uh, you coming on, talking to us. We're, it's still early evening here, and it's getting pretty late out there in New York. Hey, we'd love to talk to you again. Uh, we love the article on the Astros, and that was very interesting unto itself. Um, thanks for coming on. You got it, guys. Appreciate you having me. That was a really good conversation. Very good conversation. Uh, lots to unpack. And and just 
I mean, I think there'd be we can do several episodes on this because it's so much to unpack. Well, it's going to be an so ongoing many- story now that it's on our radar. It's something that there's going to be little news nuggets dropping out here and there, and different people to talk to, get different perspectives. Because I'd like to hear, like maybe we talk to somebody from the one of the Padres affiliates and get their take on it. Right, absolutely. We can, and we certainly can reach out to some of those guys. I know we reached out to uh, JJ. Well, we've spoken to Tony Enzer yeah. before. Oh, yeah, J.G. Cooper. Yeah, we're trying to, yeah. to get together with him. And he's the guy that wrote the story for Baseball America. Yeah. Uh, and then it looks like they're going through some sort of man- management change in uh, Lake Elsinore. Um, but those people have been accessible for us. So maybe we can talk to them, um, especially since in, as it's apparent to us, they may be pressured to improve their facilities. So I'm just curious about the nuts and bolts side of that. Yeah. So good conversation with Evan. We appreciate Evan Drellick from the uh, Athletic coming on to talk to us. Yeah, absolutely. So we have some more things coming up. Um, we're going to throw this out there. I'm going to throw it out there and probably shouldn't, but uh, Raul Padron from the, the hitting coach for the Amarillo Sod Poodles has agreed to come on. Yeah, so, so we we're should gonna, be talking to him next week, right? So we're going to have him come on next week. And uh, he's got an interesting career. He's had an interesting minor league career. Um, he certainly had a fantastic last season, and he's been with the Padres for three years now. Oh, I want to talk to him about Owen Miller and Joe. Yvonne Castillo and, <laughs> oh and Bubba Trammell. <laughs> I want to talk to him about playing in the Venezuela League and, and like the whole, you know, just all that stuff being in, uh, you know, playing in the Winter Leagues and how fun that is. So that's going to be a great time. That's going to be a long episode, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you guys... Uh, Come back for uh, for that next week. Uh, until then, you can find me on Twitter at SD Donovan. I am at Zippy underscore TMS. Go Padres. Go Padres. Go Padres.